0: You're about to listen to Brittle Star's really great podcast. Their really great podcast is fueled by our well-caffeinated friends at Club Coffee. It's, a, it's kind of a misnomer because there's no actual club to join. They just, they make, like, they, they make coffee. There's no club. So don't, don't get your hopes up. They make delicious compostable coffee pods that you can find at retailers across Canada, like Loblaws, Amazon, and Costco. And they're Canadian too, eh? If you're not into coffee, sorry. Hi, Brittle Star here. You're listening to my really great podcast. Each episode, I sit down and have a chat with someone I think is pretty cool. I think you'll think they're pretty cool, too. And today, we're talking to...
1: My name is Amber Mack and I'm president of Amber Mack Media. We are a production company that mostly specializes in the digital video content space. I also do a lot of the keynote speaking uh, virtually now and I've written a couple books and host a, a bunch of podcasts, but none as popular as this one, Brittle Star. So it's very exciting to be here. <laughs> well,
0: I think you're putting a lot of emphasis in the weight of your draw for this particular episode. <laughs> this could be the poorest point. performing episode. You don't know. You have no idea. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for hanging out. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's funny because one of the things that sticks out to me, because you've, I mean, like, as you just listed off a million things that you do, and uh, it was a little, it came over a little <laughs> boastful, but that's okay. Um, it was, it was, uh, it, it's fascinating to me because you're, you're quite an effervescent for lack of better terms, bubbly person in a weird way. Now, the more you get to know you, and a lot of people don't know this, the more you get to know you that you realize those bubbles are largely fifty percent evil. <laughs> so, I think that uh, it's 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 uh, it's almost like is it the defense tactic? Is that what's happening? Is I've have you have you always been this effervescent and bubbly? It's
1: a good question. I think I've always been very positive. You know, for example, I remember being a little kid growing up in rural Prince Edward Island. And we would have uh, races in track and field, or it would be part of coloring contests. And oftentimes I would come last or second last, but I was just super excited to finish. So, you know, there'd be a picture of all the kids with the medals (laughs) and then me and my smile was bigger. And I don't, I still to this day don't know where that comes from.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the key to your happiness has been setting the bar, your own bar, incredibly low. I'm just happy I was able to finish the race. That's
1: it. I've always been like that. You know, I have a picture where I was in this coloring contest and there was like the winner and then the the runner up and then I'm part of it. But you would think I was the winner because my smile when I was seven, eight years old was bigger than any of the other kids. And I was just like, hey, I'm a winner in my mom's book. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs>
0: But I mean, you've kind of turned into a, into the winner of the race though, because one of the things that, you know, having known you for quite a while and like having known of you prior to knowing you, your involvement in tech and all that kind of stuff, like you were doing it when there weren't a lot of other women doing it. First of all, you know, you obviously transferred that low bar into a higher bar at some point. So what's the story with that?
1: Well, when there's no one else to compete with, (laughs) then all of a sudden you have a better shot, right? Think about it. I mean, honestly, I can remember sitting in my bedroom when I had moved back to Toronto from the US and, uh, I wanted to work on G4 Tech TV with Leo Laporte, and there, they were not—they were not auditioning. There were no roles open, and I rented a <laughs> video camera and I shot my own video. I edited it on the iMac and I said, "I want to be like the Oprah of technology, and right. I want to have a job on your show." Eventually, they got me on as a guest, and then I ended up replacing one of the co-hosts, and it, it just worked out. But I, that was intentional for me in the sense that I recognized there was no women in this space, right, and then I thought that would change. But I'll be honest with you. I mean, really, there's still not a lot. And I don't know if I just made a bad choice or if it's just too difficult. <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was going down such a positive sort of feminist road there for a bit. And at the end, you just veered hard after that. But that—that's that's all right. That's okay. But I think you're right. I mean, there isn't like a lot of people, a lot of women that were involved in tech. I really also like the Oprah of tech is a... Really a, a great insight into like what motivated you Just kind of have that positive thing, and you know, well, like who's who else is the Oprah of tech?
1: She's a little bit more successful, but uh, I will say that I just. Again, I saw this opportunity because there were not a lot of women in this space, and because I really loved technology and I loved explaining it to people, I thought there would be a role for this. Now, you know, sometimes in your career you're too early, and I'm sure you've experienced this uh, <laughs> yeah. other times where you know we started podcasting. I don't even know when. I mean, it was uh, 2004 or something right. like that, and now podcasting is hot. So, That's <laughs> the only sometimes reason I'm doing this early. one right now.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, ahead of the curve. Our saying here in the house is that um, we're ahead of the curve, where the roads aren't paved and no one else is. Yeah, so it's basically you it. can
1: be there. I yeah. mean, you were there. I would think you know, Vine was a good example. You were super early on Vine for Canadians. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was like the month it came, actually the week it came out, I was on Vine. But I mean, even like going back to YouTube, I was doing essentially vlogs type stuff on YouTube in 2006. But I mean, it was, there was no money in it, though, really, like at that point, like no one knew why we were doing it then. It just seemed like it was something to do, which is fun. Whereas you came into like with broadcasting and stuff. And this is something that fascinates me with, with the friends I have who are broadcasters, uh, at least broadcasters by trade, or at least initially were is that like you must have noticed a huge difference when you went from broadcasting to digital like to social and all that kind of stuff because TV is a very different beast from from social and stuff
1: yeah, but to be fair, I didn't succeed in TV for very long. <laughs> so, you know, I. What are you talking well, about? Well, I mean, full time. That's not true. Well, I was at, I mean, some people who know me well think I was at City TV for a long time as a technology reporter. I was there for 14 months. And I remember it felt like Groundhog Day. I felt like I was suffocating the routine. It was just no opportunity for growth or creativity. And no disrespect to people who've been there for 20, 30, 40 years, but I'm entrepreneurial. <laughs> so that was a bad place for me. Yeah. You're right, though. I think it's interesting because these worlds have merged, right? Digital and broadcast. And there's some things those of us who have a lot of time in digital do well in broadcast. And there's some professional things that I've learned from broadcast that apply well to digital. And I don't know if one is better than the other, but I do think that they intersect in a way that's super interesting. So I learned a lot from Leo Laporte when I worked with him because he was, if you've ever watched Leo on TV, if you don't know him, he's like one of the top technology broadcasters out there there. He was very casual almost like people would be on YouTube or in podcasts. He wasn't an over the top fake broadcaster. He was just who he was on TV. And I didn't find that as much when I started actually working in TV.
0: <laughs> it's a, it's a totally different beast. I mean, I've done a little bit of television stuff, but I mean, it's it's just entirely different. I mean, even when I was asked to do some uh, segments similar to the videos I'm doing on social in this past year and a bit, and I would they would be like, "We can do whatever you can do whatever you want." And then I'd find out it's been a script and they'd be like, well, you can't say that. That'd be like what's well, very very different. And I think as as that entrepreneurial sort of you know mindset where you're thinking oh I, I it's like every job I've had I thought to myself I should tell the people who own this place that they're doing it wrong <laughs> even though I I don't know maybe I was not probably not always right actually I can guarantee I'm not always right but that's the interesting thing with social for me is that and watching you as well is that you've you've kind of ran with that like you have first of all here let's clarify this let's clarify this I locked out in 2013 and kind of fell into an opportunity that I recognized as an opportunity and kind of ran with it. Whereas you went into broadcasting and traditional media and then were like, yeah, I'm actually going to go this way. And I, I'm going to I'm going to push ahead. Like, was it a conscious decision to be like I'm going to push ahead into digital?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you if you look at the history of digital and you look at the opportunities that exist, I remember this because when I was in journalism school, I I actually specialized in digital journalism. It was one of the first times our school had actually pushed the online journalism uh, course uh, and. I wrote an article called Horse Hunting in Cyberspace, okay? And it was, I know, I know. Anyway, it was all about this couple who bought a horse online, but they bought the horse from the other side of the country. They lived in Maine and they bought a horse from somewhere else. And I was so fascinated with the fact that, you know, e-commerce was this kind of new thing and it was possible to go online and buy a horse. I mean, this was in 1999. And when I saw the power of someone selling that horse to be able to, grow their business online, I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe I don't have to follow in the footsteps of other people where I have to work at a TV station for 20 or 30 years and then finally feel like I've made it. Maybe there's an opportunity, thanks to the internet, for all of us individuals as content creators to be able to go out there and build our own thing. And that has always been my focus. And TV is just almost like a a credibility thing for me. It's certainly not a place I will spend more time than necessary.
0: (laughs) It is weird, isn't it? With television, that's one the things I found as well, I remember we did uh, a number of Vine videos for ET Canada, for Entertainment Tonight Canada, and they were lovely and they're very nice and all that kind of stuff, and that was great, but I mean you know, ET Canada, for those who aren't in Canada, or those who don't know, who wouldn't know, and why would they, um, they get like 400,000, 500,000 viewers an episode, and at the time, our videos were getting like, you know, two, three, four million a day, views a day, and um, uh, it, I, it would, people would say to me, oh my God, I saw you on Entertainment Tonight Canada last night. That's amazing. I was, I'm was i on for like six seconds, right? It's like me and my youngest son, Gregor. And I'm on for like six seconds. And they're oh my God, you're actually doing something. There is that really weird credibility thing with television that's sort of like this, I guess, because there's gatekeepers. Is that the idea?
1: I think that's true. I mean, I think there's gatekeepers. And to be fair, I mean, I, they would have had you on for longer than six seconds, but that's just how long Vine was, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, they didn't. That's the thing, is that they they talked about oh, me. Inter- the introduction to those vines was longer than the actual vines themselves. <laughs> they'd be like, coming up next is a special Halloween treat. We've got Canadian viner Brittle Star and his son Gregor R., and they're coming on to do an amazing, and then they'd play the vine, and it'd be over. That'd be it.
1: Oh my gosh. I think it is a credibility thing because you're right, there are more gatekeepers, but listen, I mean, I don't want to name names, but if I think (laughs) about the past month, there are three or four people who I know who have been in TV, who have dropped out of TV. And I know for sure, uh, at least half of those people are trying to pursue things in the digital space. And uh, I think that's where it becomes kind of fascinating is they realize that there's gatekeepers and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of structure in TV, but there's not a lot of upside, right? Like in the sense that in Canada, there's only one Peter Mansbridge, Mm -hmm. you know, there's only one Marilyn Dennis. Like it's very hard to be in that small group of TV broadcasters making really good money.
0: And does it have the same value? Do you think, do you think, or do you think that's a diminishing value for television? Do you think people are like, that was like six years ago we did ET Canada. Do you think people would still feel the same now? If they saw me on ET Canada?
1: Well, I think. I'm not specific. Uh, you don't have to specifically. Like, we're not
0: throwing ET Canada under the bus here. I'm not saying that they're. No,
1: no, no, it, no. But I think that honestly, I think that it's a situation where I do think there's still credibility attached to it. But how long is that going to last? And what I mean by that, even from a production standpoint, and I'm sure lots of your listeners are into production, even if you look at the cost of, of what it takes for them to get a show up and running, and then you think about a small organization, if they were to just dismantle a, a TV station right now and build it from scratch, they'd probably need a quarter of the people. Yeah. It would probably cost a tenth of the price. So how is it sustainable to operate the model that they have operated for so many years. So my point, I guess, in that is that, yes, there's still credibility, but I don't know if their business model is going to last forever unless you have really exciting people in the industry who really transform that, right? And and I don't know if that's happened. I haven't seen it happen quite
0: frankly. I think in the past year, you know, like going through the pandemic and stuff, I've noticed that there's been a, at least to me, and you can tell me if you feel the same way or not, that audiences have gravitated towards this authenticity, and I'm air-quoting authenticity, because that can be manufactured, fabricated, authenticity as well. Um, but like when you saw all the talk shows, suddenly they were like... And I had the, we had this conversation with uh, Jesse from uh, Room Raider. Uh, when all the talk shows suddenly went back home, and they were just like in someone's house. And every everything seemed to be leveled. The playing field was suddenly leveled. So between traditional media anyway and social media or digital media. Um, and I think I've noticed... And you can tell me if you feel the same. I think I've noticed that there's been a little bit of a pull towards um, like less glossy production. I don't, know, I don't know if that's true or not I don't even know if it's temporary. Maybe it's just temporary. But an example for, for one of the, Shannon and I, my wife Shannon and I, we watch you've met Shannon, haven't you? Um, she has met She has <laughs> met Shannon. Uh, of course. Uh,
1: I love Shannon.
0: <laughs> uh, that's what everyone says uh, when they don't live with her. Um, but no, I'm just kidding, honey. She's never listening to this. Who am I kidding? She's never listening to this podcast. <laughs> she doesn't even listen to my videos with the sound up. That's not even a joke. That's just true. That's just entirely true. But I think that, you know, Shannon and I are fans of Big Brother, the show Big Brother. And we have been fans since, like, the Writers' Strike of 2000, which birthed Survivor and Big Brother and all those terrible reality shows. We've been a fan of Big Brother since then. And we noticed, for example, like, the like, you know, they franchised them out. Uh, maybe you don't know. Because um, you're one of those people, it's like, I don't really watch television now. Uh, you don't, do you? Or,
1: or maybe ever. Oh, well, really? no, that's not true. We watched... Chris and I are big news junkies but no I, I don't watch uh, reality TV really right. or fictional TV hardly <laughs> at all but not that that sounds arrogant when I say that it's more just that I don't know I just find I, I'm terrified of losing my edge so I don't do anything that could potentially knock me off my game <laughs> I'm quite boring but for me
0: <laughs> less of a risk I've already I'm already off my game I'm not even playing the game anymore the game is happening somewhere to my side that's it so Big Brother is this show, you understand, and it's they lock people in a house, and then they can't leave, and they vote everybody out one by one. That's the idea. But it's a it's a franchise that's been done in, in numerous countries. So we have a Big Brother Canada, which uh, Arissa Cox uh, hosts, and she's great, um, except for the things she does. And in-
1: produces now, yes, too, right? Yes, yes.
0: She's like executive producer, I think, now for this past season, uh, which is amazing because their casting is really diverse. It's very much a slice of Canada, and it's like, oh, this is exactly what... If you could do a coast to coast to coast, you know, intersection of Canada, this is what it would look like, which is lovely, and I really, really enjoy it. And we're a, we're bigger fans of Big Brother Canada, and I think it's because they don't quite have the same budget as Big Brother U.S. Big Brother U.S. is a little too glossy now, and we certainly noticed it like this year. We watch television, and be like, "Eh, I'm not really connecting as well. It feels like I'm being talked down to, and I'm and I'm kind of being played for a sucker compared to." Uh, the Big Brother Canada production, which felt like it was still, you know, glossy and it was still kind of big, big budget-looking production, but it was much more authentic. And I think that's a result of people want like the world turned into their telephones. Like they, they were using their smartphones to experience the world when the pandemic was hitting. And I don't know. Do you think that kind of thing is sticking around, or do you think that's going to go away?
1: I think, honestly, it has less to do with the production quality and maybe more to do with uh, just being hands-off about uh, producing or overproduction. Because I think you're right with a lot of the U.S. shows. And of course, you know, when I'm flicking around the channels, I see these shows. It just feels really forced. And the curtain has been kind of pulled off television over the past few years. And we know when stories are fake. And I think we're less tolerant about that. And you're right. We do want authentic experiences because we see people online. And we know people are complicated and they have multiple layers and they don't have these perfect stories. So when you see that on TV, I think we're less uh, naive than we used to be about that. So, so maybe with uh, a big brother, Canada, they've been able to tap into that because Canadians we're we're not a glossy country in general compared to the U S so it's something that probably works here a little bit uh, better. Right. I think that's maybe a fair statement.
0: Yeah, I I, 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 mean that's that's the thing is that I think that there are people are looking at these authentic uh, bits of content, for lack of a better word, and that could be a TV show, that could be a video or whatever, um, and they they it strikes me that they want to have like this past year has been like a reflection. Well, I, I call it like the biggest biggest sort of shared experience we've had in a long time, basically. Uh, meaning like we've had been sort of, you know, previously been like these sonic islands where we've been kind of with our headphones and everyone's experiencing the world differently. And then all of a sudden there was this outside force that made us all experience it the same. And I remember, you know, when the pandemic started and I don't want to turn this into a big pandemic thing. Cause again, I want to make this evergreen. So you're listening to this like three years from now and you're like pandemic. I remember that maybe. Um, <laughs> but I remember the, when the, the whole thing went down with the pandemic What made it real was the fact that it was showing up in media, uh, in like even when when our youngest son, Gregor, went took a nap, we were like, oh, this is starting to turn into a thing. He took a nap and then we woke up, the NBA had shut down, and he was like, well, what the hell happened? And then like school has been shut down. It's like, what's going on? So as horrible and as terrible as it was, I think it also had that kind of weird benefit of like forcing us all to be like, oh, we actually do all live on the same planet and we're all experiencing this planet and this life at the same time, which I guess, I don't know, I don't want to say it's got a, a good thing. That's the weird thing for me is that because we work from home and you kind of work essentially from home, or you have a studio as well, but um, we're lucky enough to do that. But it's terrible when people would see me and they'd be like, how's it been? I'd be like, oh, the pandemic's been great. It's been really great, really good for us. And then you go, oh, well, no, you know, it's terrible. But we've just been really fortunate.
1: Yeah, I, I think that you're right. And I would also say that as the world slowed down to make this as evergreen as possible and people <laughs> started to maybe be online more often and maybe they started to uh, be more authentic, you may think that this is an opportunity to bring people together. But I have to say that there's a dark side to this <laughs> where I'm seeing a horrible, horrible there's a, trend. Wait, there's a
0: downside to the pandemic?
1: <laughs> Not just the pandemic, just the way that maybe people Need to get back to work. <laughs> That's all <laughs> I will say. <laughs> right? Because I'm thinking, you know, I see, I see the protesters out. I see people online. It seems like 24 seven, and it's it's all consuming. And I think to myself, okay, what happens when the world slows down and they start to look inward? Is that you would assume that there would be more empathy and compassion in the world? Uh, but I think that lasted for like a day. <laughs>
0: It was- I know wasn't that disappointing it really was wasn't it it was like <laughs> I remember going to Sobeys to get somebody at the grocery store and, and uh, like the, when masks were first of the thing and I saw a bunch of people wearing masks I was like ah oh, everyone's wearing a mask in here that's really great and then it quickly turned you're like oh no there's a whole well it's not really that big that's the thing is that we, there's this minority of people who are really anti everything and they're just like they're not playing on the same team as anybody they think they can win this by themselves they can't win it by themselves um, so what's the? This leads me to another topic, which is uh, social.
1: Wait, not anti-maskers, because yeah. I thought we were going down well, this well, amazing path. <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I, 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 as
0: as people may know, I do some content that is uh, anti-anti-mask and anti anti vaxxer and uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be as 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 measured and as methodical as I can, because my goal really is it's like. As a prominent physician said to me recently, you and I are double vaxxed. Who cares? Like, we're not going to die. It's fine. You might get sick. But obviously he was being, you know, facetious by saying that, yeah, who cares? But the idea is that, you know, I'm I'm when, see, this is going to take me down a whole other thing.
1: No, I want to go there because I think this is, this is the thing we shy away from these conversations and I don't want to turn your podcast political. But I do want to ask you is, I think you're saying what, and I appreciate this because I've probably said the same thing. We have to understand how they're feeling, Mm -hmm. they're angry, they're Mm -hmm. hurt, you know, and then that's true. But at what point do we say, uh uh-uh? You know what? I know. No more. Like you, you can't go and scream at a three-year-old for wearing a mask. No. It, it's done, right? Yeah. Like I'm not putting up with that and I'm sorry, but suck it up, you giant wimp, <laughs> right? Because- Totally. That's what they are. Yeah. If they think wearing a mask is like such uh, you know, they should just take off all their clothes because you have to wear clothes places. Exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's so frustrating and it's so maddening and it's been really difficult. I mean, we we're Shannon and I were talking about this. Shannon, my wife, by the way, you know, you've met my wife, Shannon, haven't you? That was a, that was a call. Are you guys okay? That was a, that was a callback <laughs> joke. Um, so, you know, uh, Shannon and I were talking about this the other day. Actually, it was yesterday saying about how it's frustrating with waiting for people to get the vaccines and all that kind of stuff. Because you're kind of like, as soon as they, the vaccines were available, Shannon and I were of the mind. And so, thankfully, were my folks and stuff. And most of the people, if not all the people that we were chummy with and friends with. We're all of the same mind of like, well, this is a global pandemic. This seems like a historic, huge deal that's happening. It's not just happening to America. It's not just happening to Canada. It's happening all around the world. And it's a global event. And as hard as that is to grasp and as hard as it is in our comfy, cushy, you know, layabout lives that we're now experiencing this, we're living through this amazing, horrible, but amazing worldwide event – We've got the solution to get out of it. Here's how we fix it. We just get a vaccine. So here's the AstraZeneca vaccine. Well, it might cause blood clots. It's like, well, we will probably be okay. The doctors have said you're most likely going to be fine. Shannon and I were like, whatever. We'll just take the AstraZeneca. Let's just do it. Let's go. Because I just want to like start mm-hmm. walking down that path. Let's just go. And it makes me angry when I sort of get the the other side of it and people saying, well, I don't know if it really I don't know if it's safe for me. I don't know if it's okay. And it's fine. It's like well, we've already proven that the if you don't want to get the AZ, that's totally fine. You can't really get it now in Canada anyway. Um, you can get your MRNAs and your Pfizer's and Moderna's and stuff and then you're still and then you're fine. Like why wouldn't you just get it? It's a global event. You can't just I'm going to get angry. If you can't just hide from uh, you know, a virus. It's I I did a video for uh, this uh, organization recently where I was like saying you know, the virus is the perfect foe because we can't fight it individually. You can't, like, that's the whole thing. It is a total divide and conquer type foe. And uh, a lot of people just aren't getting it. But then it, you get to the anti-maskers and the anti-vaxxers and all that kind of stuff. And you uh, there was a woman who commented on my Instagram post of a video where I had done three groups of people who have yet to be vaccinated. Uh, the three groups of people are, okay, this is also mocking them. Well, I mocked the last group, <laughs> and the first group was people who are scared about the health implications for them specifically. That's a that's a fair. Yeah, absolutely. You should you should absolutely if you're concerned, talk to your family doctor. Absolutely, do that. That's uh, there's zero wrong with that. Uh, the second one were people who had uh, cultural and communication barriers. People who couldn't you know maybe didn't speak English. Uh, there was uh, something reasons where they couldn't get to a clinic or whatever all right, let's, that's also a valid thing. Let's address that. Let's fix it. Then the third group are the people who are like, nah, no, nah, the government's trying to track us. And they're the conspiracy-loving weirdos. And I put this video out and this woman wrote a comment and she was like, I think, you know, I've, I'm vaccinated and uh, I'm double vaccinated, but I think that we need to just be more patient and we can't force people. We have to educate people. We can't, you know, we've ruined this by incentivizing it and trying to convince them to do it. Uh, but we just have to pay, be patient and educate them. And I don't respond to comments because, hey, I don't need to. Look at me. I'm amazing. But secondly, <laughs> <laughs> but secondly, I think that uh, my response would have been, but how long do you wait? How long do you wait for these people? A year? Two years? Five years? It's maddening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I honestly could care less if certain people don't get vaccinated and don't wear a mask. Just don't come near me. That's it, right? Uh-huh. Like and here's the thing, you know, I think about this all the time because I have a very very good friend. This is a sad story, but Uh, he's in his early 50s and he has uh, stage 4 cancer and uh, it's just awful and uh, I'm very careful now because it's such a close family to us and I'm very careful about being around them and making sure that you know we are as safe as possible and I'm thinking what a privilege you must have in your life to not have anyone vulnerable around you because here's the thing is like it's not about you because I see all these people who were into fitness and and, uh, (laughs) holistic health and and those are things that I I get and I appreciate and I, I I try to do some of them too. But here's the thing. I'm glad that you're healthy, but guess what? You know, there's so many vulnerable people. And if you don't have any of them in your life, dear God, what a position of privilege you're in. Oh, totally. Because I don't, that's not me. And I i have, you know, three or four people around me who are vulnerable and and for different reasons. And what if you have kids under 12? And it just, uh-huh. it's such a selfish approach that uh, unless you have a legitimate reason, my thing is, you know what? They don't have to do it but they don't get to play by the same rules that we do in terms of accessing public places. That's that's yeah. a fair situation.
0: I agree. I, I 100% agree. One of my favorite things, though, is the a number of people, a number of, uh, I'm going to say mostly white dudes who have said, like, for example, there's a leader of a... Political party. I'm not even going to bother saying that it doesn't matter. It's Maxime Bernier. He's a moron, and he. Uh,
1: you're trying to protect. That yeah, I know. I know.
0: <laughs> as I was coming, I was like, "Why am I protecting this guy?" Um, but my favorite was his video that he put out, and and there's another politician who said essentially the same thing recently. An MP. He said. Uh, he said. Um, he goes well. You know, I'm. I'm healthy. I'm young. I'm only 58. <laughs> like. Young to who? and a and my son and I were Gregor and I were talking about this. and it was like, fifty eight. like I'm not fifty eight yet, but I'm heading close to it. But also it's like fifty eight, young to who. Young to a ninety five yeah. year old maybe, but you're not young yeah. anymore. You know, you're on the downward slide. Listen, buddy, make your make your reparations. make your you know make your uh, uh, your 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 peace because you're on the slide down, and you're not young anymore. And I like how they say, oh i'm I'm physically fit. I jog. You know, I'm running, that's my sport. Yeah, okay, outrun a virus. It's the stupidest thing in the world.
1: It's stupid. Me I mean, it's also very, very misguided because clearly that so many people are, are getting COVID and they're spreading it and they may not get sick, but what about all those other people? But again, I think this is just more reflective of the society that we live in where there is a, a growing vocal uh, group of people who are so inherently selfish yeah. <laughs> that yeah. they should normally be embarrassed to be doing and saying the things they are, but they're not anymore because guess what? They're almost interdependent internet famous and and fame is a weird motivation
0: yes that's the weird thing and i think that we've had a culture that seems to me that we've kind of allowed that kind of behavior to be okayed like certainly in the past sort of five years in in the u.s you've noticed it being like yeah it's okay to think these terrible things it's like well it's okay to think about them but it's not okay you can't just be okay with them that's just that's not a that's not a good idea so we've had this kind of culture of, an, of acceptance or enabling these sort of horrible, this horrible behavior. And then you have the power of social media, which I think a lot of people are still adjusting to, where you have this notion that you you kind of weight every tweet and every post the same. And it's like, well, they're not, they're not the same, at least not to me. Do you find, do you find that people have a hard time sort of like, how are you, like, how do you deal with comments and and cuz you'll get into it pe- with people on Twitter sometimes and every some I, you do it my wife Shannon does it and I just refuse to get into it with people I just I have no time to talk to people but you will occasionally cuz you're good-hearted probably
1: Well, I think that uh, I do get into it but I always stick to the facts like I yeah. am not an emotional person as you know and so to me Very it's, you hard know, if to you love. scream at me on uh, Yeah. Yeah, like I I I, I might be because <laughs> I don't, I never in my life have read Twitter and been sad about something someone said to me. Like never. If my mom was on there and she wrote something terrible about me, I would be sad. But it's never occurred to me to allow a stranger to have any control over my feelings. There's, mm-hmm. it's, it just doesn't equate. They could say the meanest things about my physical appearance, about my work, about whatever they wanted. Uh, I just don't like when people share facts that are incorrect. <laughs> so right. usually if I go after people, it's like you're entitled to your opinion, but let's try not to get the facts. Uh, wrong, because there is a responsibility among how things spread online, and I will jump in with facts and details. You know, I, if I post something and someone uh, takes it and they they pretend that I said something else, I'll be very clear that hey, just look at what I wrote, right. and then I just end it and stop responding. So to me, it's it's not we don't have to be emotional about everything. We just have to be practical and and have a science based approach. And I think in that sense that, you know, all of a sudden you can drown out some of that noise. But I certainly don't let people jump in and say things that are just totally inaccurate.
0: My biggest concern with those people that, that sort of spread the misinformation and uh, uh, Shannon was fighting with one of those people last night. And I was like, oh, it's just not worth it. And, it, and in the end, it never is. I'd hardly ever, you hardly ever get into it with someone on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And then at the end of it, they go, you know what? You're right. Because it never ends that way. but
1: do you, really, do you think that's true? Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt no, 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 you, but no, please. I have a few people in my life who yeah. was, we started out where they were kind of, I don't want to say they were trolling me on Twitter, but we got into a Twitter argument. It went into our DMs and, and we're now friends and we came to an understanding about things. I, I have a few people right now who fit in, not everybody, but there's a few that fit in that category. And I think that's interesting because I do think yeah. sometimes that does happen.
0: And that—and that's recently that's happened? Like in the, it's like since like sort yeah. of pandemic, really?
1: Oh my, I'd say so often when I'm messaging back and forth with someone, what I will do is I will DM them privately and I'll be like, hey, I don't think we're that different or that far off. Wow. I say this with respect and it sort of, you know, fizzles a little bit. I just think, you know, some people again uh, are a little bit Hot-headed and emotional about things. But uh-huh. really, we're not all that different. Uh, but there's the fringe that I think you can't control. But there's a lot of people still in the middle. I think that might be fair to say.
0: My concern when I'm dealing with those types of people is always, because you have quite a considerable platform, I have a pretty decent platform now. And I think that my concern is, it's like the, the Muhammad Ali uh, one time said, you know why he doesn't get into it with people, why he doesn't, you know, argue with people and, and get into bar fights, and he's like, "Well, you know, if there's, every dog barks at the moon, but the the dog that the moon barks back at will be the most famous dog in the world," and <laughs> uh, which is a great quote, uh, and I mangled it, but that doesn't matter, uh, and. It's it strikes me sometimes where I look at those comments and I think well I'm not going to amplify this I'm not going to get into it with this person and then suddenly have people who follow me now go oh I didn't see this video or this clip or this piece of information before and then I'm helping to spread it I feel but I I think that's maybe also because I just don't want to get into it I just don't I just sort of I get too tired.
1: Well, I think you have to strike some type of balance, right? Like we can't just let everybody spout off and say, oh, just let them be. Because I think, you know, at a certain level, Mm -hmm. uh, there are some things that we shouldn't tolerate. So I think you have to kind of pick and choose what you let slide. And, you know, if I see, you know, egghead, three, four, five, six, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, make Canada great again, you know, I might not respond to that person because I realize like that's their whole motivation for being there. If I see someone who's an executive at a relatively well-known business who maybe has different political views and is kind of out of line with how they're talking, I may sort of try yeah. to set that somewhat straight. <laughs> but you have to pick and choose those battles. But I certainly don't always let everything slide because I think there's a risk to that as well.
0: I don't put a lot of weight in comments at all. Yeah. Like, just like, because I think I, my view is that you've, if you're the one creating something, you've acted and the reaction doesn't necessarily matter all that much once you've decided to put it out. I mean, the reaction matters in the sense of who's, you know, someone, if you make a video, if someone's watching it, that's a good metric to use to me. It's like people are watching this video. That's usually good. Comments well, you're, in general. you're
1: probably a little bit, I mean, you're a little more controversial than I am in the sense that I'm mostly putting out tech content. And I mean, you really go after people in a totally different way in your comedy, which I love. But I do think there's a lot of people you could offend with your videos. I think that's, yeah. a, fair, that's a fair statement, right? And, I, and so. I don't think that's what I put out regularly.
0: I think the key to... You're uh, you're kind of a jerk. Well, yeah, (laughs) but I'm a jerk for the the greater good, though.
1: (laughs) But then then you pretend to be nice, so then it's kind of, it messes with me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think the, uh,
0: I mean, the thing is, is that uh, the the trick, here's the key. The key is if you want to get in on this uh, creating content that you feel is controversial, because it always freaks me out when I get interviewed by people and they were like, and they'd be like, well, you really put your neck out doing this, uh, you know, uh, pro-vaccine stuff. And I'd be like, Really? It's like it's a global pandemic. It doesn't seem like that much of a stretch to say, hey, we should get the vaccine if that'll stop the pandemic. (laughs) That seems like it. I don't feel like that's controversial to me. But I think here's the key. The key is if you make fun of people for being stupid or being idiotic or whatever, it's hard for people to counter that because by doing so, they basically have admitted that they are one of the stupid and or idiotic people, (laughs) which is great. So that's that's the fail safe.
1: That's super common though, I think, on social media where you know oftentimes uh, we we've, we've experienced it recently when we talk about protests at uh, political rallies right and I will go online and say, "Hey, you know, we got to kind of curb the potential violence or anger at these rallies uh, and then I know s-
0: what you're talking about specifically. Yeah,
1: and then someone will just yell at me yeah. and they'll just go lash at me and I'm like, yeah that's 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 my point mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's my point. Uh, You're just reinforcing that.
0: When you saw... Well, first of all, this is going to... I'm trying to articulate this properly, say it properly, so it doesn't sound too weird, because it's already pretty weird. I'm often interested to think about when... Because you were sort of already very established when you and I met. And I remember, I think the first time we met, I'd come to your house, maybe to film? I think, maybe? It sounds
1: weird when you say it, but yes. Well, it
0: does sound... (laughs) Sounds a little. bit... I just
1: meet people on the internet yeah, and invite say, come them Come on over, you got a camera? <laughs>
0: come on over. Um, how's your flexibility? <laughs> just like
1: Shannon watching, just like <laughs> Shannon watching your videos without sound. You I know, don't need to know anything more about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I mean, I I'd, I'd recognize you, and I find that I find it really interesting to sort of see what people who are established and successful already think of people who are on the come up, basically through social media and digital media. Uh, like when I see people, because i I've, I've my come up was on vine and social media i kind of recognize this opportunity and i kind of feel like oh this is really cool i'm starting i'm able to like connect with people that i think are really cool and and work with them um but i'm often curious as to what the people who are already there think of that crop of people who came up do you know what i mean like did you look at me when you when i came to your house and you're like what a loser how old are you 43 get out of here (laughs)
1: I've honestly not ever heard anyone describe people on the up and up as on the come up. So I'm just trying to sort of. <laughs> You've never, never heard that. that
0: That's very cool. On the come That's up. how cool people talk, Amber. I, I do. It's how people on on television and fictional TV shows and reality shows we all talk like that.
1: Well, I am clearly not cool, so <laughs> I would just say that I don't. I don't think I've ever thought of myself as being established and successful the same way. Maybe you know, you have articulated it. I I feel like I'm always kind of trying to climb to some, you know, I don't know where, but uh, yeah, I would never think of that. Because remember also- Having been in traditional TV, when I was at City TV and I was a reporter, I wasn't allowed to sit with the real reporters because I was a technology or internet uh, specialist and they thought that stuff was goofy. They thought Twitter was a joke. They thought all of that stuff was kind of pathetic. So I never really, it took me a long time to get to the point where people are like, oh, maybe this internet thing is actually going to have an impact on our lives. And that's really Only been the past few years. And yes, then I've built credibility in that space, but it wasn't always like that. Like, I can't tell you often how often people call me the tech girl. Like my son's almost 13. I'm not just like the tech girl anymore, right? (laughs) (laughs) Although I appreciate it now. Yeah, exactly. It's turned,
0: it's went from sort of like a demeaning comment into like, well,
1: okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like someone called me honey online and it was an insult and I was wow. like, wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Maybe
1: that's okay.
0: <laughs> you talk sweet to me. you gonna talk sweet. Okay. That sounds. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> no, I, I'm just, you know, I just realized the name of your podcast is brittle stars. Really great podcast. Is that well, actually the name?
0: That's actually the name. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just had no other ideas. <laughs>
0: No, see, it's a, it's psychological. So what's going to happen is people are going to say, hey, I listened to this podcast uh, the other day, and it was really great. Well, they talked to uh, Amber Mack. Uh, she's she's lacking emotion entirely and unable to love. And then they'd be like, well, what's the name of that podcast? Like, oh, it's uh, that guy, Brittle Star. Brittle Star, it's a really great podcast. I'm like, oh, all right. And they'll never ask for clarification. They'll never say... Is that the name of the podcast or is that your qualifier for the podcast? Uh, you see? So immediately smart. the new person has already thought it's a really great podcast and then they'll listen to it and then be obviously and evidently disappointed right from the get-go. But that doesn't matter. I've got them in the door once. That's all that matters.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's a terrible name. It's just, you know, if someone said, what would Brittle Star name his podcast? <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would probably guess this to be honest with you. <laughs>
0: Well, that makes sense. It's
1: predictable. It is predictable. predictable. So can I just ask you a question? Because I actually, not that I don't like being interviewed, but I mostly do the interviewing, so... I just no. want to ask you, because I have huge respect for you. No, I do. I adore you and I adore your family. And I have such respect for you and all of the stuff that you have done. And uh, I'm curious because we're, we are very similar in some ways. Yeah. and We you know have family businesses. We work with our partners and, and I work with my uh, brother and parents and everybody. So, so as you look down the road, like some people ask me this all the time, like, what's the game plan? Like, I don't have a plan, but I just love what I do. I'm just curious, do, like, do you have a game plan?
0: Well, I mean, it's fascinating. You said you don't have one. I assumed you had one, and I was the only person who didn't have one because I get to ask the same question. People will be like, "What are you gonna? What's the plan?" And you're like, oh, "I don't know." I mean, I have like a really, really—I don't have a plan. I have like a general direction that I want to head, but I don't have a plan. I think that being in social media in the past nine years has taught me that you—you—the the landscape changes so drastically and so dramatically, uh, and, and quickly that you can't plan ahead. Like, what was my five-year plan? In 2015. I'm going to be on Vine forever. That'll be, you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm going to the White House next March, and I'm working with the Property Brothers, and obviously it's a star on the Walk of Fame immediately after that for Best Viner.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it no, all went it's, away. It is interesting because I think about this all the time. You know, when I first got into the business world and I start, started branching out of my own and, and growing my own business, there was this pressure to always sort of be very niche and put yourself in this little box, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is that box that, you know, I can tie, tie a little bow on it? This is what I do. Now I can't explain what I do, you know, in less than two minutes because I do so many things. Yeah. But I think you're right. This, this, this ability to adapt and move with things is something that's not comfortable for everybody. And yet that's something that's required in this world of of digital. And and I think this applies to lots of other sectors as well. So how do people get to that point where they're like, I'm cool not knowing where I'm going to be in a year because- I think we fall into that category, Absolutely. but it's uncomfortable for people.
0: But I think what's different though, and I think it's, def- it's evident when I look at you and what you've done, I mean, you, the Amber Mac brand is like an, is a brand. It's a, it's, I know what I'm getting into with the Amber Mac brand. And I sort of, that's kind of been the only thing for me. It's true.
1: No, why would you make a no, face like it was- just the way a... you say things. No. Because the, the, the- Stop. I know, it just, it's just-
0: This is this is something people don't realize about you, is that you infer everything I say is filthy, and it's not.
1: No, no, no. It's just that I've spent a lot of time online with uh, tech bros. So when you say the Amber <laughs> Mac brand, is something that I look I look forward to getting into. Where I know what I'm getting into. It is-
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not what I meant. Honey, honey, that's not okay. what I meant. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Is this why the bro- professional Broadcast stations aren't calling back Brittle
0: <laughs> Exactly It's me, Egghead4459 Um no, but my, my point is is that the, when people ask me the same question, what's your five year Where are you going to be in five years type of thing? Well, hopefully alive, if that's first of all, as the older I get. And then secondly, it's like the only thing I'm aiming for is just like the the brand. So I think that one of the things I learned with Vine was that uh, because Vine went away, and I was like at 1.2 million on the, like the last bit when it went away, um, was that... I had to be able to take me and place me anywhere, so it didn't matter what the platform was. And I think that's what you do as well, though. I mean, I think that—that's what I mean by the Amber Mac brand is like something you know what you're going to get. Like it's like someone said, oh, it's Amber Macs doing this or Amber Mac Media is doing this. It's like, well, I get it. I totally get it, and it's—I and it's, know what it's going to be like. Yeah.
1: But I think that's, you know, as you grow and and you're trying to have stability in your life, like, you know, Chris and I right now, uh, we own half a dozen properties. So Crazy. real estate investment is something that we've taken super seriously. It's not just because like, I'm not like the property brothers where I like want to redo houses. Mm-hmm. That just feels safe to me. and And as I've Gotten older, you know. One of the things I've done is totally insulated ourselves so that we have multiple streams of revenue, and there's an opportunity if one of them falls apart. Like for you, you know, Vine collapses, you can still do stuff elsewhere. And the more you do that, at least for us, the more I'm not uh, dependent. You know, if I decide tomorrow I don't want to do keynote speeches anymore. I don't have to because there's half a dozen other streams of revenue. And that's the thing I think a lot of people forget is they're just like, I want to be a beauty influencer on Instagram. You're right. like, oh, please don't do that.
0: Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, one time there was a, uh, a multi, multi-millionaire person, friend-ish person who said to me, uh, I, I remember asking, this is like when I was younger, like when I was maybe like, maybe like 25 or something, or 24 or something. And uh, I said to them, how how do you like I, how do you make money? How, like how is this working? How is it, how are you doing what you're doing? And their answer was I have my finger in many many pies, mm-hmm. and it's true. I think it's one of those weird things with especially working in media and working in digital media is that you have to and just in general I think it's really really smart now to sort of be like I'm going to have my finger in a lot of pies and do a lot of different things. And that's why we've done like our we did like our vodka line and our merch line and all that kind of stuff and and they kind of exist separately from what I do, but at the same time they're kind of connected. And it's the same for you. I mean, it's the same idea, it sounds like. It sounds like you have way more money yeah, than I, I do, mean, which is slightly hurtful to me, but that's okay. I'll get there eventually. No,
1: I'm sure the Butter Tart Vodka line is going to do really well.
0: Hey, it's sold products, out. It's
1: like a flavor. Twice. Yeah, you wouldn't
0: know. You don't even it. drink vodka.
1: No, can I just tell you? you, this is the thing about you, though. Like, you're absolutely right. You have all of these different things on the go. But also... I think people could put you anywhere. Like if someone said to me, we're going to do election coverage, whatever year it might be in to keep this evergreen. And they said, Brittle Star is going to be on the panel. Like (laughs) I'm watching. If someone says to me, you know, we want someone as a host and it's going to be Brittle Star, I'm watching. If someone says we have a, a product, we want them to rep. That's like a really fun product. Oh, Brittle Star is a perfect fit. If you can be that person for those different opportunities, I think that's where things become so interesting. But most people, I think kind of, close themselves into this tiny little box yeah. where they they are very narrow in their thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think that is not going to bode well for the future. And um, just, you know, having, you know, it's, it's all about having range. Uh, I'm thinking of... Uh, Oh my gosh, I should have done research before I got on with you. But no, that'd be uh, Clive terrible Davis. Yeah. Well, you're a music guy. Clive yeah. Davis, there's a, a documentary about him on Netflix, right? Yeah. And I believe that in it, because I wrote a quote down from him that I used in my newsletter, he talked about having range and how, as someone in the music business, you know, it's not like he just signed country people, right? He signed hip hop people, country people. Didn't he sign Kenny G? Like, yeah. you know, it's such a it's range. And he could see that range. And that's, that's incredible valuable to have range and once you have that, I think that that's where the opportunities come into play and and it's, narrowness is not a good thing anymore in this year.
0: I agree, I think in any year Which I
1: shall not agree Yeah, I don't want to say what year it is in case you're not playing this for a while.
0: <laughs> this comes <laughs> out. This comes out in 2025 <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that uh, I think you're right, I think that it doesn't, you have to be adaptable, I think especially if you're self-employed, you have to be very adaptable and you can't one of the things I've learned, you can't rail against your own success as well. Like you might find yourself uh, doing something with this intention of heading one direction, and then when you get it out into market, you realize, oh no, it looks like I'm appealing to an entirely different, you know, demographic or an entirely different audience that I thought I was going to, and they're seeing it this way, and I didn't intend that, but that's okay. That's okay to move in that direction and, and kind of generally move in that in that forward motion.
1: And also also learn about the world that you're in and and learn new skills. So I'll give you an example. Something that drives me insane, and I'm sorry because I feel as though I'm a very tolerant person, but this drives me insane. Yeah. When I see people who have been in television for 20, 30, 40 years, if I see them in person or I, I interview them and they don't know anything about audio quality or video quality, I am flabbergasted. Like, how yeah. do you work in this industry? Yeah, true and how that. did you not gain skills around that? Right. Yeah. And and so that's what I mean about that range is like you know one of the things that I love about media is like not only am I on camera I know enough about the stuff behind the scenes to be able to add value on a set and and understand how that works but there's some people who go into stuff they're like I do this and that's all and and that that's that would be terrifying for me I, I think
0: it's a huge mistake in general like I think I think it's yeah. so much better to always have a good appreciation as to what is involved in the work that you do. I remember talking to the woman who takes my uh, headshots Is Terry Manzo, and she's been doing it since I was 21. And um, she spoke of taking this this woman, this actor, who was uh, fairly successful, and... Uh, that particular actor knew everything about lighting. Like she would come into the studio and be like, well, we're going to move this light here and this key light here and we're going to do this here. We're going to change this around and then we're going to try this in the background here. And she was just all aware. She was super aware of everything that went into that photo shoot or whatever. And and even just on stage, she was aware of like all the stuff that happened. I think it's really important. You can't go into, especially now if you want to be self-employed, especially with digital, you can't just say, well, I'm just going to make... I'm just going to be the on-camera talent. You don't get that luxury, I don't think, anymore.
1: Oh, I don't think so anymore either at all. And and the thing is, you kind of learn that along the way, right? Like yeah. it's not, I mean, I always thought after journalism school that maybe I would just sort of have one job doing one thing, but you sort of learn as time goes on that that doesn't make sense. And then also, you know, I, I don't know what your financial situation was when you graduated university, but I had... in student loan debt. So one job wasn't going to cut it. Like I had to get two jobs and I had to balance that. and had to pay it off. And then, you know, I was a single woman and I bought my first house. And like, that was a whole other process in, in terms of, you know, wanting to own, but not having a partner to own with. So again, you know, sometimes when you have those financial challenges, when you're younger as a professional, it can actually motivate you to do great things. Like I think I'm so happy I didn't grow up rich because- I don't know where I would be right now, but I I, I don't oh, yeah. know if I'd have the work ethic. <laughs> yeah, I often
0: say like maybe I'm be, wrong. Being in Stratford, of course, with like you know the hometown of Justin Bieber, and people would give Justin a hard time sometimes, very rightfully so. But most of the time, I'd be like, "Are you kidding?" Like when he was 19, he had 65 million dollars. You wouldn't have seen me for dust, man. I'd have been like, "See you later, gone." I'd have been, you know, who knows where I'd have been. So full credit to people who do that kind of stuff. But I mean, I can't imagine you're right. I think having to work a little harder, no, that's the wrong thing. Having to be creative and and ingenuitive sometimes has a tremendous benefit, I think. I think.
1: You know, I I think that that's a hard thing as a parent too, if there's other parents listening to you, is like, you want to be successful and you work really hard and then you get to this level and you're like, okay, well, I want my child to also have some challenges where they feel as though they need to work hard and I don't want to give them everything and and make life so easy for them. So those are always things that I think also we just have to think about all the time. So uh, getting out of, you know, Toronto once in a while for me is a good thing. Let's just put it that way. (laughs)
0: Like away from your child? Is that what you're basically saying? No, no,
1: like taking him away from here, right? right. Like, you know, you go to rural PEI and and he hangs out with his cousins and other kids and, and, you know, you give them five bucks and they're gone for eight hours and and they get candy and sit in the park. Like this is, these are things that are good, right? He's not, you know, walking around and and downtown Toronto, like, you know, shopping in Yorkville with 12 year olds. I I need to get away from that a little bit sometimes.
0: Wow. Yeah, that would have, I would have been okay with that being 12 and having lots of money to shop. Again, I'd probably turn out to be an even worse person than I am now, but it would be, it'd be okay. I'd have nicer clothes. <laughs> I think one of the things that really, I really enjoy about talking to you, or really enjoy in the experience of talking to you and having a conversation, and this is weird because we're recording this, so it really hasn't been as ribald and as uh, littered with profanity as it usually is when you and I chat just sort of on our own. But one of the things that I don't know if you know or not, but when I like when you talk you initially start, you're back here, you're a little bit projected, you're really good, but then when something actually interests you, you lean in and go, but this is the thing I want to tell you about this. This is the thing I'm actually interested in. And that's, you go right into, like you, like you lean into to the microphone to talk, and it's just, it's one of those cool things. I just really enjoy it. And you not even in the microphone, even in real life. When you and I are just having a regular conversation, you'll talk normally. And then when you get excited, you'll lean in and just lower your voice a little bit. But it's like a stage whisper. I could still hear you across the room, but you're kind of whispering.
1: (laughs) Wow. I don't even realize I do that, but thank you. I I will (laughs) say- Thank you. (laughs) Honestly, I know we have to wrap up, but I will say that uh, one of the things that I've always tried to do, and I'm curious if other people do this, so let us know on social, is how do you- you know, care about things so passionately and in such an intense way, but not really care at all at the end of the day. Like I'm always trying to balance that, right? Like I'm so passionate about this.
0: Are you talking to me specifically? You know,
1: yeah, it's like you know, you know, you care so much about your career and everything, but if something doesn't happen, you don't spend time no. sort of dwelling on it and being sad about it. I think that's the, you know, that's a sweet spot for happiness for me is just sort of caring a lot and being totally committed, but if it doesn't happen, I'm moving on to the next thing. And you know, to your point about being intense about things, like like, yeah, be intense about it. But when it's time to let things go, like, let things go, you know? it's it that That is an important thing to remember.
0: I totally agree. And I think that's probably, I was going to ask you for your really great tip because there's two other questions, which is what's a really great tip? And that's a really great tip you just gave was that idea of letting things go if they don't work out and moving on to the next thing, which is really important. One of the biggest lessons I learned, and it hasn't been that long, it's only been in the past few years, is that you can't pick your hits. You can't choose, especially if someone works in creative, you can't decide what's going to, be amazing you could be working on something you think is fantastic and you get it out there and everyone's like "Eh, whatever it's okay and then something you think is garbage people are like this is amazing and you, you just don't get to choose which one's going to be successful or not you just got to keep creating keep moving on
1: yeah exactly and you got to be okay just sort of getting out of your own way right i i think it's also letting your egos not play a huge role in the way that you run your life right so yeah um you know, being able to step aside and say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to let this go and move on. It can lead to some happier moments and uh, that can always be a good thing. But again, it's always, I know this, we're going down this weird path. I don't even know what this podcast is about, but it's I It's just say really great. It's really
0: great. That's all it is.
1: It's a really great podcast. Yeah. I, I just think that, you know, these conversations that we're having, the two of us, none of this happens without sort of having self-awareness mm-hmm. and without making mistakes and and really working on skills and improving yourself. I mean, I think we're both in that category. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to kind of do better, not sure. just professionally but personally. And I think for people, it's like it doesn't happen overnight. it's a it's a that's a big investment and journey that you have to take and and it pays off well, but uh, I think you know you have to be in that headspace where you're open to it.
0: Yeah, here's your final question. Your final question is this. The the question is, if you could give yourself advice one year ago, what would it be?
1: Okay, so I will say that I've started to do something recently because I've had a number of uh, things happen that were sort of, not intense things, but you know when you have, everybody has problems at one point or another in your life, whether it's business problems or things that happen. Sure. And one of the things I've started doing is... uh, not reacting right away Mm -hmm. and saying, I will get back to you or let's talk about this in a day or two. And and what I'm trying to say is, you know, that, that whole common advice of, hey, you know, sleep on it. Uh, we're so reactive in the society of, of social media where we like just, you know, want to write something right away. So even if it's a job that I'm not sure if I want to do, I used to write back right away. Now I'll write and say, hey, just give me a day to think about this. And then I will right. write back. And it's amazing what time will do to your perspective. And I've only started doing that in the past year where I say, I don't need to have all the answers today. Day. And and sometimes, and this has happened to me with some bigger uh, issues, sometimes it's like a week, all of a sudden the clarity comes. So right. I would just emphasize that I've learned how to be incredibly patient over the past year, even with my own decision-making process. And that can be just hugely beneficial, just having that time to kind of see things in a, in a different light.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, Amber. Amber
1: Mack. Yeah. yeah. Hooray. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me on your really great podcast, Brittle Star. It's really great to be here.
0: (laughs) The really great podcast is fueled by our well caffeinated friends at Club Coffee. Don't get too excited because there's no actual club to join. It's just a weird name. I don't know why they chose that name, but they did, and they're called Club Coffee. The good news is they make delicious compostable coffee pods. You can find it at retailers across Canada like Loblaws, Amazon, and Costco. If you're not into coffee, Sorry. Oh, and they're Canadian too, eh? Well, that was pretty great. Amber's one of my favorite people. She's just someone I kind of admire because she goes for it, and she's very driven, and she's very funny, and she's always, like, super happy to help, which is phenomenal, I think. I mean, it's a really great quality to have in general. Um... But especially one in someone who has half a dozen properties. I mean, she doesn't need to help anybody. She's got a whole bunch of houses. Thanks so much for spending time with us and uh, hope to see you on the next episode.